I need to tell you guys, I actually didn't watch this movie, but I'm excited to talk Did about it. Did you really it. not what? watch this movie? No, I watched it. I'm joking. Oh. Oh my gosh. Lawson. <laughs> Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. All right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Hello, hello, Whatever show, movie, song, or tech, we just can't get out of our heads. In addition to those picks, this week we'll be talking about Steven Soderbergh's new movie, Logan Lucky. But before we get started with all of that, let's introduce ourselves. And when we do, let's answer the question, what's your favorite non-Soderbergh heist film? Because we can all agree that the right answer is Ocean's Eleven. But Absolutely. if we're going, if we're going non-Soderbergh... Let's get yes. some variety. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm Lucas Wright, a designer from the Bay Area, and... My favorite heist film, minus Ocean's 11, 12, and 13, is The Sting from 1973. Paul Newman, Robert Redford, amazing heist film, if anybody's ever seen it. I've seen the end of it, and it was great. The end of it? Yeah, it was on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My name is Lawson Soward. I am an art director in Nashville, Tennessee, and my favorite non-Soderbergh heist film is The Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm, That's a good one. I love everything about that movie and the fact that it is also a heist movie on top of everything else is the piece de la resistance and i'm sandra omstutz i'm a social media manager not master not yet Um, (laughs) well on her way in Nashville, Tennessee. and even though i am the person that's asking this question i realize that naming a favorite is very hard for me mostly because there's a ton of heist movies i haven't seen yet that i want to Um, So I'm going to go with the most recent non-Soderbergh heist film that I've seen, and that's Now You See Me 2, which is a really, really good What? Is it good? Yeah, it is good. Did you guys ever see Tower Heist? No. (laughs) With Ben Stiller? With Ben Stiller. Yes, I did. I saw it in theaters. It was very bad. Oh, man. (laughs) There were a lot of options for me to choose from, but none of them stood out particularly as like, a favorite just like lots of movies that i love because i love this genre you like i'm just so shocked that you like now you see me too i love it okay have Better you seen than that lucas other heist movies i haven't I'm seen not it saying that i'm not saying it's a favorite i'm saying it's the most recent but okay. when i was thinking of some of my favorite heist films a lot i haven't seen a lot of the good ones is what i'm trying to say a lot of like when you look up top 25 heist films I haven't seen a lot of them, and I want to, and I just haven't made my way to them yet. A lot of the ones that I have seen um, would not be maybe recognized as incredibly quality films, even though I love them, and they're fun heist movies. I'm talking The Perfect Score. I'm talking National Treasure. I'm talking, um, like, The Bling Ring, which is kind of a heist film, but it doesn't kind of, it's also different than most heist films, you know? Um, National Treasure is definitely a heist film, for sure. Yeah. yeah. That's great. I'm I forgot about that movie. That yeah, I forgot about that too. It's a very classic heist film. There's several heists in it, and um, the heists are very fun, and I had a fun time with that movie. All right. Yeah. That's a recommendation. I haven't seen it, so yeah. interesting. Would you okay, all cool. say that D2 is your favorite iced film? You can go home. Okay. Right. 
Okay, <laughs> what are you feeling this week? Okay, guys, Lawson, you already broke the ice with Wes Anderson. Um, and with but, mentioning ice, you're really welcome. Oh my gosh, jeez. If you don't know Wes Anderson, he is the director of movies like The Grand Budapest Hotel, Moonrise Kingdom, and Lawson's favorite heist film, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, and he has a very distinctive visual style. Um, his framing is very symmetrical, and he has very, very obvious color palettes that he uses. If, if you took a screenshot of one of his films, I think everyone would know off the bat that like that this is a Wes Anderson movie. Um, so this week, I'm actually filling a subreddit called Accidental Wes Anderson that finds real-world examples that look straight out of his films. There's a Paris swimming pool, a record store in Dallas, a hotel lobby in Mississippi. And the reason it's so interesting to me is because the places in his movies always seem so specific and intentional that you'd never really expect to see something like that in the real world. But here we have proof that the world is still quirky and unique. And if I were Wes Anderson, I would be using this subreddit to location scout for my next movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's so smart. Yeah. I'm scrolling, have you guys seen, if, I'm yeah. scrolling through it right now, Lucas, and it is yeah. really a joy because in addition to being a Wes Anderson fan, I am just like a major fan of symmetry. I love yes. symmetry so much whenever I'm decorating or designing anything for myself, that's a major point for me. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, this is, in addition to, like, quirky, beautiful locations, a lot of these shots are full of symmetry that I enjoy. Yes. Yeah. If, I, you, if you also feel like unique architecture at all, this is great. Yeah, I love this. I'm also starting to get the impression that uh, Wes Anderson's aesthetic is just Switzerland. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so much of this is Switzerland, and it's so yeah. great. He does like his Scandinavian locations. This reminds me of a trend that I used to see on Tumblr a lot, where people would take um, screenshots from TV shows or movies that when you just take these select few and you put them all together, it looks like they're a Wes Anderson movie. So back when I was very big into the MTV show Teen Wolf, someone had a big master post of screenshots from scenes from Teen Wolf that made Teen Wolf look like a Wes Anderson film. Um, Interesting. And having that done with like different shows and movies, um, I just love applying his aesthetic to something that is completely not his aesthetic. Yeah. Yes. I, awesome. Another Tumblr thing that did that was Kanye Wes Anderson, which I really enjoyed. Which oh my took gosh. gifts from Wes Anderson films and uh, captioned them with Kanye lyrics that were a perfect juxtaposition. That is right up your alley. That is essential Lawson right there. Yeah, um, I made it, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, if you are interested, there will be a link in the show notes to Accidental Wes Anderson on Reddit. There will be. Thank you for that, Lucas. Lawson, what are you feeling this week? So what I want to talk about, what, I, I'm, what I'm feeling this week is something that I really am feeling. <laughs> Just like all of the feels. Um, <laughs> it is the new album from Brand New, the band Brand New, called Science Fiction. And it's really hard for me to talk about this on its own terms. Brand New means so much to me personally. Um, growing up, I had so many brand new t-shirts that I had friends that didn't know Brand New was a band. They thought it was a clothing brand because <laughs> I had a shirt for every day of the week. Um, <laughs> they just... yeah. It's a band that I have a really close connection to personally, but I want to talk about this album on its own merits if I can. Um, first of all, uh, just starting with the album cover, Brand New does a fantastic job and has for as long as they've been putting out covers of 
having covers where there's always more than you think to them. Um, a lot of times they'll have uh, just a, a photo, but the photo is something has kind of a special wrongness to it to where the more you look at it, the more you get out of it. Um, there are albums that they have that are 10 years old where every time I look at the cover, I get something new out of them. Um, there's a lot of uh, symbolism, um, but it's also presented uh, through photography in a really unpretentious way. Um, this album's cover itself is captivating, um, let alone the music within it. The music inside of it is so, so good. Uh, Brand New has been called America's Radiohead, and I I think that's a very apt comparison. Um, it starts off with a taped recording of someone talking through a psychological evaluation, and that really sets the tone for like the the really dark soundscape of this. There's also uh, taped recordings um, of Southern Baptist worship services uh, interspersed throughout this. The production on this is so uh, deep and uh, dark and shadowy and incredible. Um, that alone is super compelling and just kind of draws you into this kind of sonic painting that's being uh, made for you in this album. Brand New is also very good at making entire albums. Um, a lot of their CDs feel, feel like it's hard to pick out a single, and this, I think, is out of every CD they've ever made, the one that is hardest to pick a single out of. Um, the music throughout this is incredibly dense. The lyrics are as cryptic as ever. Um, another thing that's really particular to Brand New is um, a lot of religious themes, um, a lot of themes about uh, satanic and uh, Christian themes are interwoven into these lyrics because of the uh, lead singer's uh, faith and his struggles within it. Um, something new to this is now lead singer has a family. They're all uh, older, um, and the themes that they discuss throughout this are super interesting. You know, I've grown up with this band hearing them um, talk about uh, love and loss and, uh, and faith and wrestling and all of these kinds of themes that have been some of the, the biggest struggles of my life. Um, and now hearing them talk about this new phase of their life is just incredibly meaningful. Um, on top of all that, they just do some really interesting song experimentations. They have a song in here that sounds like it could be a Weezer record. And, they also have songs in here that sound like they're straight off of um, their previous most popular record, The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me. Um, this album really feels like it's taking influences from everything around them uh, and putting them through a very, very unique prism um, of their exact point of view. And... What comes out is nothing short of beautiful. I I love it. I'm really, really feeling it this week. Um, it feels like an end. It feels like an incredible end. Um, the last concert I went to for Brand New was earlier this year, and they were selling merch uh, that had a, a birth and death date on it, <laughs> like tombstone <laughs> shirts. And so I th saw that the end was coming for this band um, and didn't think that we were going to get any more music from them. And I'm just so, so thankful uh, that there is. They didn't try to reinvent themselves. They didn't try to um, be something that they're not. They did what they 
do. And that's something that's been incredibly meaningful to me over my life. And even though it's easy for me to patronize myself for uh, feeling things very intensely and uh, this band being associated with some of the adolescent feelings that are super intense, um, they're really making art the best way they know how and, and as meaningfully as they can. And I am really thankful that there are people doing that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really feeling uh, the entire album science fiction, but I wanted to play a particular clip uh, from the first song on the record called It Lit Me Up. It lit me Sandra, this is pretty far from pop music, so I have made an assumption <laughs> that you did not listen to this, but did either of you guys listen to this earlier? Yes, yes. I I listened to uh, this whole album when it came out on Friday, and I, like, to me, I forgot that Brand New was, like, all deep cuts, and right. <laughs> and I was like, where's, the, where's, like, where's, like, the hit? And I was like, oh, yeah, I like, because I, I used to listen to their stuff on CD, and I didn't feel like... Like I just listened to the album over and over again, and exactly. that's where I fell in love with all these songs. So coming off of like one one listen through on this album, um, to me there wasn't like a standout song. I really do like that first song, but to me there wasn't like a standout one that I'm like, this is it. This is the song of the album. Um, so for me, it's it's weird listening to it on Spotify, but I'm gonna have to like go through and listen to this a few more times. I'm excited yeah. about it though. It's good. In the song one three seven, which is track six. Um, that's another thing with brand new songs. I always kind of find myself referring to them by their track number because I always listen to them in my car on a CD. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> um, but the track is called, uh, 137 and there's this insane guitar solo in that, like this opening track and that track are two of the biggest standouts to me, but there's, there's great stuff going on throughout the whole thing. Nice. Cool stuff. Thank you for yeah. that Lawson. Um, before I tell you guys what I'm feeling this week. I have a quick question to ask you. Um, did either of you watch Gilmore Girls? I can't remember. Yes, very much so. Did you watch all of it, Lucas? No, I didn't watch the the new thing because I okay. hate change and stuff. Okay, so. but you did, you watched all of the uh, the original series. Yes. Okay. Yes, all of the original. Right. I have seen five minutes of every season. Okay. What? <laughs> it's okay. like it's been playing while I've been in the same room but i have got never it. watched it intentionally okay got it so nothing um, against it though okay uh, this week i'm feeling something very specific i am feeling the character of logan huntsberger um i <laughs> do not like the show gilmore girls i have tried it several different times and every time i'm like oh i can't watch the show i don't like it and there's a lot of reasons why but you know I just, I've never been able to get into it. And then two days ago, I was, you know, dicking around on YouTube and I see this video that's just titled Rory and Logan number 15. And I kind of just like click it just to see it, um, just to see 
you know, what their dynamic was. I've heard of this character. I know what he looks like, but I've never really seen him in action, even though I've tried to stay pretty pop culturally aware. Um, and watching that set me off on a chain where I found this person on YouTube's playlist and it was 150 videos titled Rory and Logan and then a number next to them. And someone <laughs> edited just all of the Rory and Logan scenes and from every time he's ever been on the show and just made 150 YouTube videos documenting the entire arc of that relationship. Oh my gosh. So for the past two days, I've been watching all of these videos. I've finished them all. Um, <laughs> and here's my thoughts on it. I cannot stand the character of Rory Gilmore. I think she's meek and boring and annoying. And I think Alexis Bledel is a bad actor. That being said, the character of Logan Huntsberger is a gem. Uh, the actor and that character as a combined um, piece of entertainment have so much charm and charisma. One of the things I've always disliked about Gilmore Girls is like, the speaking patterns that all of the characters have because of the dialogue that is in those scripts. And he is the only character I've ever seen in that show that pulls off that dialogue that can speak um, as quickly as the rest of the characters. And it feels natural and entertaining and lovely. And I think that character is interesting. Um, I'm definitely a sucker for a smug, rich, um, charming guy that is too smart for his own good um, and that fits him to a T and I loved watching his arc on the show even though I was just like you are too good for this Rory Gilmore character um, but I, I had a fun time watching just him be him on this show I cannot believe you did that that's <laughs> insane <laughs> I would, everything was... that you just said is something that an insane person would say <laughs> I felt you being provoked the whole time. There was definitely a lot of skipping. Anytime it was like Logan was off screen, it was just like they were setting up context for a Logan moment. I was like, no, 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 I don't need to hear about <sighs> Rory and Yale and all this other I'm, stuff. <laughs> I'm triggered right now. I am. Lucas, I just, do you think I just Rory can't. is a good character? And do you think Alexis Bledel is a good actor? I think Alexis Bledel is a good actor. I think Rory oh. is a shallow character. Um, but it's about, it's not about her. That's the whole thing. It's about Gilmore Girls. It's about her relationship with her mom. And mm. Lorelai is amazing. Now, I didn't diss Lorelai. <laughs> I'm oh, dissing man. Rory. Um, I just, yeah, I, I think ultimately I really dislike Alexis Bledel's acting choices. And that. Have you seen her in anything else? I don't know yeah, why I'm I've getting flashes. I've seen her in other things from... and I haven't been Ugh. annoyed. But in this show, I think she is not very good. I don't know why I'm getting flashes from like 2004. Like you can't support the troops, but not support the president. Like you can't support Lorelai <laughs> and not support Rory. Oh, it's I so think true that though. I oh I you can definitely support Lorelai without supporting Rory. Let me tell you that <laughs> Lorelai is a ugh. much more interesting character. I'm uh, so pained right she now. Worked, I'm so pained. She worked so hard to make a good relationship with her daughter. I don't know. I don't know anything about this show other than that the grandparents are rich. Yeah, well, Logan is also rich, and that is a fun Which, plot point. 
it's it's just not that fun of a plot point. <laughs> yeah, alert. let me tell you, I'm also <laughs> endlessly charmed by his jerk friends that yeah, his like that that do the, like wild things with him and their relationship with Rory. They their you relationship. Were, you are literally Rory taking the opposite opinion of what the show is trying to do. Makes me like Rory more. <laughs> like anytime oh they're gosh. on screen and they're interacting with Rory, I was like, oh, I'm liking Rory right now. Ugh. Our episode of Gilmore Guys is just Sandra taking every unpopular opinion, Lucas being incredulous, and me being like, but aren't the grandpa's glasses kind of too small for his face? <laughs> yeah, so I'm feeling that specific character. Um, I watched all the scenes, including his scenes from the new Netflix series, and he continues to be complex and interesting and charming. Um despite being very flawed and jerky in certain moments. Like all the moments. No, all not, the moments is when he's jerky. The that's the, no, that's that, absolutely ugh. not true. He has big moments where he is a jerk. He starts a fight or he does something incredibly irresponsible. He definitely has these like big moments where he does that. But his natural state of being is like accommodating and charming no and no 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 and that's 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 what he tries to get you to think but the whole thing is he's actually a jerk and he does these little things that make rory want to hang i can't do this lucas I don't. here's the thing <laughs> what you have to understand is sandra has more context than you she's watched the whole show <laughs> while you've only watched youtube clips that's true that's true you watched like <laughs> 10 youtube videos I i'm not having this argument and 50 YouTube videos. <laughs> you watch parts of 150 YouTube videos. Call me when you've watched 150 episodes. Yeah, I'm not ever going to do that. <laughs> Sandra, you have said some ridiculous stuff on this show before, but this is it. This is as far as I can take it. I mean, <laughs> you last I'm... week said that you didn't like Jenny Slate, so I feel like we're on even terms right now. Lawson, you're I'm the only reason impressed. we're together. <laughs> I okay. am super impressed that you... A show that you disliked took the time to dedicate to one particular character from that show and found something from a canon of work that you could like and enjoy that much. Yeah. So that's Isn't that never something, something that I would do, and I'm just like, right? I, that's great that you found right? that. I'm considering doing the same thing for Jess, because I feel like from things that I've seen of that character, I'm also Andra, like compelled by him. You're just going to end up watching the whole show. No, that's no, how absolutely, to, I cannot. In a weird, I cannot random watch the order. show because I have zero interest in that dumb little town, and I have zero oh. interest in like <laughs> the constant barrage of pop culture references between Lorelai and Rory. I have zero interest in Lori's like ambitions. Um, so I can only stomach the charming moments from like her love interests. Can and I so share that? I, I might look at the Jess stuff. I cannot stand Dean, and so I won't. I'll be avo avoiding any mo moments with him. Can I share my favorite hot take about Gilmore Girls? You have a hot take on Gilmore Girls? This isn't mine. This is one that I read, and it's my favorite oh. one. Oh, great! My favorite one is um, someone writing that I will never forgive Gilmore Girls for making an entire generation of young girls think that liking coffee is a personality trait. I mean, but that's, you could apply that to so many things about this show, not just coffee. There are so many, like, tiny quirks that they have that are like, this is who I am. Like, we talk this fast. We know all these, like, pop culture references that nobody else does, and we throw them into conversation and make other people confused. And that's, like, charming somehow. There's so many things. It's so obnoxious. Guys, it turns out it's not fun to listen to two people who haven't seen this show. Talk about it. <laughs> 
Okay, on that note, let's move on to talking about something that we all have seen. <laughs> Logan Lucky! Logan Lucky. Steven Soderbergh's <laughs> new heist movie. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is older, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like a breeze. Country roads, take me home to the place I belong, West Virginia. Okay, so a lot of us, I think we're highly anticipating this movie because as it's very mm-hmm. well documented, we are major fans of Ocean's Eleven and Steven, Steven Soderbergh's work in the heist movie genre. Um, and his, his work in general. His work yeah, in general, Yeah, he does great too. across genres. For sure. He did um, uh, Magic Mike. Did a great job with that. Well, that's that's a terrible example, but everything else. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I, sorry, Sandra. Anyway, um, so... I feel like before we get started, I should admit that I got the opportunity to see this movie back in, I believe it was February or March. Um, yeah. They did a preview screening before they were finished with the edit, and they told us, I don't know whether I believe them or not, that this was the um, the, the screening that I saw in Nashville was the first screening for a public audience that they held. Um after just showing it to people in the studio. So um, that was really exciting for me. And so I've been sitting on my thoughts about this movie for several months now because I wasn't allowed to talk about it. Um, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with you guys, finally. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. I've been waiting for this movie for a very long time. I love Ocean's Eleven, obviously, and 12 and 13. I love them all. I love Steven Soderbergh, and so I was... Really pumped to see him diving back into film in general, but also specifically a heist movie. Yeah, and this cast is stacked. Like, I loved everyone in this movie. They did such a good job. Yep. Well, let's start. Lucas, what was kind of just your general take on Logan Lucky? I had so much fun. And that, I think, is a Steven Soderbergh trait. Like, no matter whether his mm-hmm. movie is bad or good, you're going to have fun in the movie. And I feel like that that's where I landed here. I The whole time, I was just like, I cannot believe I'm enjoying this so much. There are, like, some plot points that are weird, some things that I felt like could have gotten cut. I felt like it was longer than it needed to be. Um, but I was along for the ride the entire time. It was only after the fact that I was like, hmm, was this necessary? Um, I... The acting in this is incredible. Every single person does an insane job of being who they are. And this is that like in the, like they reference Ocean's Eleven and like they say this is the like they call it the Ocean 7-Eleven or whatever. But I thought they did a great job of not not uh, I guess patronizing yeah. that patronizing that area. That's what I was afraid of. I like too many winks at the camera like it's like this but not like it's the South like. Do you right. mean like just mocking like make, the South? Mo- yeah, mo- mocking West Virginia and North Carolina, kind of where this movie is filmed and set. I was afraid that it was going to be a little bit too much of that. Oh, okay. Lawson, what was your take? So how do you guys feel about it? I mean, I loved it. I thought it was so affectionately written. Um, I thought everyone's, the acting, as you said, is just completely off the charts. I 
have this is the first time I've seen Daniel Craig in a role that wasn't James Bond, and I was enthralled. I want to see him in so much other stuff. I know that he just signed on for two more Bond films, and this made me really sad about that because he's an amazing comedic actor. He's an amazing, um, he's amazing at transitioning into a completely different genre and a completely different type of person. He's just magnetic in this. Channing Tatum is perfectly cast. The little kids that they get in this are incredible. I don't know what I expected going. I mean, I heard like a Southern, um, a Southern Ocean's Eleven, but this was fun and heartfelt in a way that Ocean's, I mean, we all obviously love Ocean's Eleven, but I feel like because there were fewer than you know, 11 main characters in this movie, you really got a chance to uh, get to know and have a sense of affection for so many more people in this. And I I really just loved these two brothers. I loved, um, uh, oh, Joe Bang. I love the character that... Um, Daniel Craig. Cra- Daniel Craig, sorry. I was just saying that a second ago and I forgot. I loved his character and his family. Um, the way that this... The family dynamics that were shown were incredible. Um, the length of it, the pacing at the end threw me off, but by the end of the movie, I was really glad that they had done it that way because um, it kind of keeps you guessing. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't know. I I was, I think I had more fun at this movie than almost any movie this summer. And I've seen a lot that I really liked. This is kind of a, a sleeper runner for my top 10 movies of the year already. I just, I really, really enjoyed it. I expected to enjoy it and I enjoyed it even more than I thought I would. Yeah, for me, again, that time that I saw it earlier in the year, I saw it with a packed audience. And the laughs that I got to hear in that audience, this movie is so incredibly funny. People mm-hmm. were hysterically laughing during it. When I, again, I think if you can, if you get a chance to see it in a big audience, I would recommend it because I saw it again this weekend and there was only like four people in the theater. It was like a Sunday afternoon and it was a definitely not as fun of an experience, even though I still really love the movie because mm-hmm. it is a heist film, but it's also definitely a comedy. There's a lot to laugh oh, yeah. at. And, oh, yeah. um, seeing I comedies are best when you're with people that are willing to laugh at them. So I, would make that recommendation to people. Um, I One of my favorite parts about this movie is the cast. Like you said, Lawson, it is stacked, but it's, it's very clear that they got a ton of amazingly talented actors that are just coming in to have a really fun time. Lots of people doing much smaller roles than they are normally signing up for in other films uh, mm-hmm. because they know that they're going to get to have a fun time on a Soderbergh film. They get to play a slightly wackier character maybe than they're used to. They get to put on a Southern accent. They get to be um, a comically tough FBI agent. Um, they get to be a... Comically? I would say so. I thought her yeah, character Yeah, I thought was it was funny. played for comedic. Yeah. Okay. Now, in a good way. Now, I wouldn't say in an overdone way. Or you get to have Sebastian um, Stan being, again, a comic version <laughs> of someone obsessed with health and body and wholeness before, you know, how it affects their career. 
Uh, there's there's a lot to laugh at in this. Daniel Craig have it, seemingly having the time of his life playing this mm-hmm. role in this movie. Um, everyone just looks like they're enjoying themselves so much. And that is part of the fun of watching these movies. It's part of the fun of Ocean's Eleven is getting to be with all of these actors looking like they're having a lot of fun doing this job. Uh, so, yeah, this movie is just a really, really good time. Uh, it's a movie that I feel like I could show to anyone and anyone would have a fun time watching it. And the heists themselves are fun and easy to follow, but that doesn't make them simple. I would say I think they do a good job of hiding information from you and then revealing it to you in a way that like makes you go, oh, okay, it all makes sense now. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's all good heist movies are able to do that well. And yeah, I, like you said, Lawson, I agree that this movie has so much more heart than a lot of heist films I see. You know, a lot of them are about getting the team together and then doing the job. And they put a lot of time and effort into making the heist themselves, these big spectacles. And this one put a little bit extra effort into um, developing relationships between the characters. Uh, they, yeah. And I, I really appreciated that. Yep. Did you guys have any critiques of it? I did. I think it might be spoilery to talk about. Um, okay. I have spoilery critiques. I, I would say kind of what I said before is the issues that I had were there were parts that did not need to be in here at all. And I could we could talk more about those in spoilers. But there was just a big chunks of the film that I was just like, this is not necessary to the plot. This is, has nothing to do with anything. I'm not entirely sure why it's here. Huh, I'm very intrigued yeah. by that. Overall, I I don't think there's anything except for like, the things that I am not thrilled about with this movie are the tiniest nits. Like they're <laughs> they're nothing. I mean, the fact yeah. is the things that I could critique about this movie took away zero percent of the fun. It was yeah. so fun. All the jokes landed. Um, there were I would say our theater was about half full, and everyone was just cackling. Like everyone was there to have a good time, and everyone had a good time. Um, there were uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Seth MacFarlane is in this. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect to see him in that. I'm not like usually a big fan of him in anything. Um, and I thought he did good. I thought he did a fine job in this. And he was probably, he was probably in my opinion, the, the weakest actor um, in the main cast. And he was still really funny. So I would say that that's my you. biggest critique is that I just can't stand Seth MacFarlane. And so I yeah. didn't enjoy having him be in this movie. Um, but that's a personal bias. I yeah. have a lot to say in spoilers about him. Okay, <laughs> great. Well, uh, is there anything else you want to say before we move on to spoilers? I want this movie to make so much money. I want everyone to go out and see it. I know that there are so many big movies out there that are like blockbusters asking for your dollars and your IMAX tickets and all that stuff. But this is a really, really enjoyable movie, especially if you're getting that movie pass that you guys did such a good job um, covering last week. I think this is the perfect movie to see on that. And even if you're not getting it, I think this movie is very worth your money in a way that a lot of franchise building movies uh, kind of aren't. Mm -hmm. This movie made $7 million in opening weekend, um, which is pretty low. (laughs) Um, But it's it's pretty normal for Steven Soderbergh movies, besides obviously the Oceans movies and Magic Mike. But for the rest of his movies, he's kind of a mid mid to low range. Um, director and 
So it was kind of expected. It's a little underexpected, but I would love it if second week numbers ended up being much higher because you know, this movie is worth it for sure. There's something I'm kind of curious about, and I, I could just be building it up in my head, but I'm wondering if um, news events that have happened recently are having an effect on this box office budget for this film. Mm. I feel like... The past few weeks have been a very tough few weeks for people living in the South and um, what maybe are images of a stereotypical Southern person, um, especially Southern white person, and that this movie is just all about these Southern white people. Um, that is something that has been in my mind, uh, is that this movie was, I'm assuming, was filmed before the election, you know? Um, right. Yeah. And you can't know when you're filming a movie what the environment it's going to be released into a year from then, you know. Um, and you know who if if Trump had not won this election, this movie I feel would have a completely different tone for me. Um, I still enjoy the movie. I, I the movie hat is has some very subtle politics to it, but it's not like a a political film. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that we are in a political time where we're looking at um what your typical trump voter is like what economic anxiety for people in the south is like and this touches on those topics in a slight way and yeah and so that's one thing that it's like it is heavy in my mind even though this is just a really fun movie it's hard to escape the fact that these are like harsher issues that we're dealing with and it's touching on those i totally agree i also think just from a marketing perspective all of the news events have been dominating every part of the conversation and rightfully so but i was talking to some people at work today about how much i enjoyed this movie and none of them realized it was out and all of them had been looking forward to it um so i think it's very possible that part of it was just like this movie had a smaller marketing budget and there were much more important things to talk about. And so a lot of people didn't realize that it came out this past weekend. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's distributed weirdly also like most of their, uh, this is, this movie is partly financed by Amazon. So this is going to be on Amazon prime um, along with big sick before the year is out. Um, and so I think that might've had to do with it. Just it's distribution model is, mm. I guess it's not, like a blockbuster it's more um like one of the smaller movies that amazon is used to producing i think so we'll see yeah we but ready? if you can see it i would definitely recommend seeing it i think all of us would agree um are yep. we ready for spoilers let's talk about spoilers great before we get started does anyone want to get out are you paying attention it's your last chance to walk away let me tell you what's gonna happen now crack and gas spoilers remember you wanted this Sorry, I'm trying to talk about this vaguely, just it, it doesn't work. So there's a moment where Channing Tatum is talking to uh, Daniel Craig's brothers, and they're like, we need, we have been saved by the Lord, and we need a moral reason to do this robbery. And he doesn't say it. Like, he kind of is like, there's been bad stuff with this grocery chain and la la la. And it, but the that's way not that they the real reason. That's like I know. setting up a joke. I know, but I'm curious as to why he didn't just tell them the real reason. Because <laughs> it kind of made it muddy for me why he was doing it at all. Especially when he gave Because his the actual reason is a moral reason. <laughs> right, exactly. It like, is. I think 
like I I think he's just trying to like get out of a bad spot. And I'm I'm not judging him obviously for doing that, but he doesn't have like stealing isn't a moral thing. No, totally. no. And, and I feel and, like and in the conversation That makes sense as a joke, but the fact that he didn't say I got fired un- unjustly or whatever. Right, I feel like that, that's as good a reason That is as... not as good of a reason. <laughs> that's not. If that if they're looking for a moral reason to steal from this vault, getting fired from a job is not I think a good enough reason. I think okay. they're they're saying there's an injustice that we are writing. And and it leads up to this joke of them just instantly agreeing to that, which was so yeah. good. Yeah, let's it was just say, like funny. even though that was happening, the joke still in and it was amazing. But I think the larger thing that I was, ha- the nit I had to pick was, I didn't care because the movie happened and the movie happening was worth it. But that scene was kind of the beginning of me being like, wait, why is he doing this? Like, <laughs> why is this heist even happening? Um, yeah. it just feels like, it felt like okay, you're doing this because you're fired and because you need money for a lawyer so that you can get visitation for your daughter. But then, like, that was the thing to me was whenever Katie Holmes yells, uh, with what money? Like, that felt like the precipitating factor to me because he goes to his brother right after that. Yeah. But then that isn't mentioned for the rest of the movie, and then he gives up that money and is just like i'm gonna move and work and but he do that without but he still gets the money right i just i didn't the the motivation the motivation or, throughout the film while you were watching it was difficult for which you to pick up yes on. that that was At my the whole end thing. you got it i but guess my thing is throughout. like in most heist films the motivation is just simply some we want money like there's usually not this <laughs> like oceans 11 like Yes, George Clooney has a motivation to also get Tess back, but the rest right. of the team is just like, yeah, we're we just, want money. We're thieves. It's we very agreed, simple. But yeah. they're all like, we're thieves and we do thievery. And this too is like, I only went to juvie one time in my life and I'm not interested in doing crime. Like it just, it didn't feel like they were professional thieves. It felt like they were people in an extreme circumstance being forced to do something. And I didn't quite understand what the extreme circumstance was mm-hmm. because Adam Driver seemed like he was do- doing it to try and do a solid for his brother, um, which I was. I just like the motivations were hazy. The fact I got like really good character interactions and I understood the mm-hmm. relationships really well, and that's more important to me. But I just the overall motivation was I I didn't get it. And I hear what you're saying that they just like wanted the money, and yeah, for sure they wanted the money. I think that's why Joe Bang did it because he wanted the money. But none of the other characters were really like Joe Bang type character. Well, I guess, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm just my saying thing is that the you don't two family members were. A professional thief to want money. Like I don't think that that you don't have to have a history of doing that for that to be a motivating factor. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Lucas, what was your what was your beef? Was there a, a specific beef to Seth MacFarlane? Yes, so much. He did not have to be in this movie at all. No. Well. Like yeah, his, <laughs> like his character did literally nothing the entire movie. Like you think, so at the beginning they have the fight, they instigate this, you know, this thing, which could have been anybody. There's no reason he has to be like Sebastian Sands as well. Doesn't have to be in this movie. They they do this whole intro with Sebastian Sands, 
you think he's going to be like somebody in this movie. And they have basically one conversation. He loses the race, which has nothing to do with the heist, but yet we watch it for some reason. Then they have the confrontation in the underground. And I was like, okay, it was all leading up to this confrontation where they're going to recognize them and it's going to be a thing later. And then it comes back and it's not actually a thing later. Okay, I thought the Sebastian Stan thing was one of those beautiful, meandering directorial moments that yes. didn't have to. Absolutely hilarious, and I loved every minute of it, but I have no idea why it was there. So here's <laughs> my take on it. Um, one, like I said earlier, I don't like Seth MacFarlane. I wish someone else had played yes. this character. But yes. um, especially maybe like a real British person, if you're going to make him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like maybe, oh, just consider it. Um, so like maybe Daniel Craig. The bi- yeah, no, no, we can't. <laughs> Daniel Craig was perfect where he was. Um, he plays yes. both characters. <laughs> there you go. That 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 would have been worth it. Um, <laughs> but I do. I'm going to defend that character being in the film because okay. I think the big thing that function that that character serves is he is the main thing that leads Hillary Swank's character to the Logan brothers. Um, or the Logan siblings, I should say. It's not just the mm-hmm. brothers. Um, yes. But without that character calling in that tip, um, I don't think there's anything that would raise those specific people up in Hillary Swank's mind. You know, like there's. I think there's nothing identifying. Yeah, I think you're right, Sam. And so, but because he witnessed one of them and he calls in the tip, that puts mm-hmm. their identities in her head and leads her onto kind of like seeing how they might have been involved in this heist so i think that is the clumsiest way of having the fbi catch on that it could be them well to have this character go through the whole movie and spend so much time with him just to his only motive his only actual usefulness is to just tip off the fbi i think there's a second level to this um okay that's and I you, you know I don't think it's clumsy Lucas but I can understand if you feel that way um, mm-hmm. but there is a second level to this and I'm gonna read a piece from BuzzFeed that's um, a, there's a little quote from an article I want to read it's called the new Channing Tatum heist movie is more political than you think um, but there's a section in this they're talking about how this the heist becomes somewhat of a legend to all like the people in the South, you know, once it happens, um, people are kind Mm -hmm. of already starting to mythologize it. Um, And then there's this quote that says, this story sticks because it's a story people want to believe, Uh, referring to the fact that they like robbed it and then they left the cash for it to be, you know, that's, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of legendary. This story sticks because it's a story people want to believe, but also because the only people who saw or know enough to expose it as a myth would rather stay silent than admit their own small failures or complicity. Personal hubris and the abject unwillingness to admit that a mistake has been made allows for all manner of crimes to go unpunished. So we see that very clearly with the character of the warden. Of, you know, his... um, Yep. Hiding his own mistakes and um, wrongdoing in his job is what Mm -hmm. allows their alibi to be so solid... Um, and I would also agree in a small way that Seth MacFarlane's character's hubris and wrongdoing of just being a jackass to everyone, um, (laughs) is what allows his story not to be believed fully, um, Mm -hmm. because the Sebastian Stan character won't confirm it. 
because yeah. you know Seth the Seth MacFarlane yeah. character did him wrong, and so I think it's adding to this level of all these people again either doing things wrong on purpose, you know, f- just for selfish or greedy reasons, um, or because they are making mistakes. That he's illustrating this point about people in power and like mm-hmm. taking advantage of the weakness of those people in power. Uh, yeah. And so I feel like that character lends itself to that point being made. Mm-hmm. I think, I think he adds to it. I think the warden's a better example. Um, right. And I think, I think so for me, Sorry, yeah. And I think for me, that just comes down to the fact that you could cut him and Sebastian Sam from the movie entirely and you wouldn't change the plot and wouldn't change the theme, any of the themes at all. Right. But which to me feels sloppy. I guess my thing is, the point is made so much more clearly because there's multiple examples of it. There's the warden, there's the Seth MacFarlane character, there's even the owner of the the racetrack and his, you know, yeah. like fudgy mess with the insurance company. The fact that it's like happens multiple times with all these different characters in power makes the point much stronger than if it had just happened with the warden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my defense of that character being included. But you have no defense for Sebastian Stan. No, I definitely <laughs> defend Sebastian, Sebastian Stan. Really? Because it, you need him to like be the foil to Seth MacFarlane. And also because that whole bit was hilarious. And it why was not have funny. some right, fun? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. But did, did we need like the race or anything like that? I just yeah, like, I, I so. expected that to be part of the part plot. Of, because part of the plot is the, with the race being such a dramatic crash is then we get the news footage of Seth MacFarlane and Sebastian Stan arguing about his, like, poisonous drink, and then that gets publicized, and Seth MacFarlane's character gets punished, you know, because he gets embarrassed not publicly, and that's, I'm sure, bad for his company. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. It's like all this, like, layered retribution. Yeah, I I loved it. Even though I, I hear what you're saying, Lucas, about it being a little vestigial, I think it did mm-hmm. help tie up a few loose ends and was really fun to watch. You know, to me, it felt more like a Lonely Islands movie where you just like, we're just going to put in stuff here that's just funny. It doesn't matter to the plot. It doesn't, it isn't really necessary, but we're doing it because it's funny. Right. Gonna, I think and I, whenever I liked started, it and I thought it was funny, but that's just how it felt to me. If we're going to talk I expected about the... unnecessary stuff in this movie, one thing that I'm just remembering is the whole Katherine Watterson character. Oh, for sure. That was completely unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. <laughs> and not even that much of a rom like that wasn't built no. up. There wasn't enough romance for that to be worth the screen time it got. Um that was a, She really that has was one scene. An odd inclusion. Yeah, very much so. I so things I like know. that for me. Especially when he already just... had such a relationship storyline with his daughter. Like, did he need yep. two like relationship <laughs> storylines? I don't know. Just... We need to know that he's into strong, intelligent women. Oh, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> again, like we said, oh, something we didn't talk about before that I do want to point out is I'm obsessed with um, Riley Keough. I think she she's great. stands out in every movie she's in, and I loved her in this one. Um, I wish she had a little more to do. Oh, sure. I mean, I always wish the female characters had more to yeah. do in these movies. <laughs> again, in that same BuzzFeed article, something that I thought was pretty compelling was they're talking about how they're really fulfilling the genre stereotypes of pulling the team together, um, very similarly to like Ocean's Eleven or other ones, in which in this article they say it has all the tropes of a t- typical heist movie, starting with the gang, the leader, 
which is Channing Tatum, the sidekick, his brother, Adam Driver, the savant, Daniel Craig, the dim-witted muscle, which is Daniel Craig's two brothers, the Bang brothers, Mm -hmm. um, and the woman, which is just so telling (laughs) that every other character has a role that is a a field, and the only thing left is just female, woman. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But she's so great, and she was so great in American Honey. Like, everything that she touches, I... She's just going to get bigger. I'm bigger. I can't wait for her to have a role that's more of something she can sink her teeth into. Well, if you want to see her sink her teeth into stuff, um, you should check out her Showtime, the season that she was on. Of I believe it's on Showtime, the show, The Girlfriend Experience, where she plays an okay. escort. Also a Steven Soderbergh thing. He produced it, yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Another actor I want to like bring up as... Um, someone who we might not be super familiar with, but I think is really shining in a small role is Jack Quaid as one of Daniel Craig's brothers in this movie. Um, he is like the taller brother with like the long hair and he is the son of Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan. Yep. Yeah. He's been popping up in a lot of little things or not big movies, but in smaller roles, I should say. Um, and I really enjoyed him in this. And then, the other brother was a Gleason, Brendan Gleason's kid, uh, brother, son of, son of Brendan Gleason, brother of Domo Gleason. Oh, interesting. So a lot yeah. of nepotism in this film. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Perfectly executed nepotism. Yeah. I, man, I loved so many jokes from this. The thing that set me off, like, I think I laughed the loudest at the game of thrones reference yep. I mean, yeah, that's my the, entire theater we exploded was dying yeah it is dying. so funny <laughs> <laughs> lost their shit just like that is bullshit <laughs> uh oh. expressing all of our rage at once i think it's also fun like to me it's the movie doesn't make a as big of a deal of it but when you really think about it i love the fact that the gang consists of two sets of three siblings yes um That is really such a fun dynamic to this heist film because oftentimes Mm -hmm. it is about getting a gang together and the gang does become somewhat of a family. But to have this heist be pulled off by literal family is um, a a really fun new element to these types of movies. Yeah, I really loved it. I I think also I just loved the, um, the emotional, I guess, heartstring, you'd call it, of his child. Oh, yeah. Um, Just throughout. Um, I feel like that's not something you'd normally get in a heist movie. Um, you'd get more of a, like maybe a fear of death or like losing your child or something like that. And that it wasn't the whole time. It was just like the, the just the love of his daughter the entire time just kind of played throughout. And it was great. I loved it. Yeah. And then her singing, uh, just her singing at the end was just amazing. Yeah. Um, I definitely teared up in that final big singing scene. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just it, it really did the job of like pulling at the heartstrings. Um, <laughs> totally, yeah. I it felt so. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Lost I was just gonna say it felt so true. I know that. Um, well, hey, Channing Tatum just seemed like such a great dad. Right. Like he just seemed like such a charming, sweet guy. Um, and the opening scene, wherever he, he where he's just asking her for yes. all the different tools, and so she knows exactly what's going on. Yep tells you so much about them so quickly and I just instantly fell in love and I also knew exactly where we were. Like they could have been on a green screen and you could have told me, I could have told you where they were. Um, yep. It was 
just really, really grounded. All these characters, I was so impressed with, I mean, they're all great actors, but putting on a culture like that can be hard, and all of these characters really felt like they belonged um, in this spot, and I was just really taken with that. Yeah. Um, Totally. My big question for y'all, what do you think the motivation of Hilary Swank's character in that final scene was? Oh, I forgot to mention Hilary Swank. Um, I thought it was just like, she's still, she's still on the trail. She still wants to find out who did it, make sure it's actually them. I mean, obviously like, I don't see that as being like her officially undercover. I just see it as her being her wanting to know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think she's trying to bust the case wide open. Um, as I think one of the things that I really enjoyed about her performance was she was so, like you said, Sandra, comically serious, like over the top, that it was also a complete poker face. So I would be able to, if they did a Logan Lucky 2, completely see her joining the crew because she came there that night because she yep. was just so impressed with what they did. She's like, these guys are badasses and like wanting to be there and help them out. I could also see Logan Lucky 2 starting because she came there, found it out, and busted all of them. Um, just like wanting to know and decided to turn him in. Like, I have no idea whether she, what, what her internal motivations are. Made her a really entertaining actor, um, character to watch, but I could see it going either way. I love that they left it open-ended, that they talked about the curse explicitly, not just as subtext, but as explicit text. Mm-hmm. And right after that showed her character there and left it open-ended, um, I think the kind of hope and ambiguity there was really beautiful, but I could not nail down anything about what that was supposed to be. And that was part of the pacing of that whole section in general. It was just yeah. really up and down. Is it over? Is it not? I don't, I, you don't really know what to think. And I loved all the reveals that happened, but um, ultimately that, that part of the scene was like, I just kind of took the emotional beat rather than the, intellectual like what is actually happening here because when i try to think through that i can't i can't really draw a conclusion i loved the ambiguity of that final scene um i think that's one of the things that makes this movie so strong i think that final scene is a really strong ending to this movie um just Mm -hmm. everyone pairing off and all being together at the same time um enjoying themselves enjoying their hometown you know what i really desperately hope that there isn't a sequel to this movie because yeah same i think what makes this movie so different from other heist movies is that this isn't really about a group of professional thieves that all come together to do a job like a lot of heist Mm -hmm. movies are you know we have joe bang um and his brothers maybe you know also be considered but they're not professional thieves in the way that most heist films are um and what I like about this job, this job that they pull and these characters is that you really get the sense that, like, they're going to do this once and they're not going to go blow all this money on some glamorous lifestyle and then do another mm-hmm. job three years later. It's like yeah. this is their one big event and then they're just going to sit on this money and keep keep let it keep themselves afloat in this local bar, in this hometown, they... I mean, he works at Lowe's at the end of yeah. this. Like, that's that's the thing. Like, he's just using this, 
because he needs the money. Right. Like he's, he's using this as, as just a step on the ladder just to get up a little bit. But I'm going to still keep living my life. I'm still, still going to keep doing my thing. And all of them are. And yeah. that is yep. like what makes this movie so special. So the idea Definitely. of them ever having to do another job would completely defeat the purpose of this story. Um, Agreed. And as far as like the Hillary Swank character goes, um, I definitely think there's a, something to the interpretation that she's tracked them down and wants, even even if she's not there in an official capacity, still wants to like mm-hmm. figure out the case. Um, yeah. But I also am very fond of the interpretation that even because they fooled the system in many ways, not just mm-hmm. the FBI, but like insurance right. companies and like, all these different ways that they fooled the system. I like to think she's a little enamored with them as a group and just wants to come and like witness the group and maybe not be a part of it, like become one of the gang. Um, but just experience the congeniality Mm -hmm. between all of them for a moment. Yeah. Um, I I like that idea of her just wanting to be close to these characters that she's been studying, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Overall, I got to say, this is a movie I will revisit many, many times. Oh, absolutely. I am so excited to own this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's so great. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed Logan Lucky. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Everybody, let's tell them where we they can find us online. Lucas? My name's Lucas Wright. You can find me uh, not on Twitter. I keep almost saying that, but I'm not on Twitter until September. You can find me on Instagram at Lucas and Stuff, just posting pictures and not talking about anything at all. <laughs> you can find me at Lawson West on Instagram and Letterboxd and uh, less so on Twitter, but still on Twitter. And you can find me on all social platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. And you can just message us at the podcast at Feeling It Pod on Twitter. And if you have the time, go leave us a review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. For sure. Thanks for listening. That's the only way I'm going to read your comments now. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> all of our reviews are just specific questions for Lucas. There you go. Do that. <laughs> leave me a question in a review. <laughs> we will answer it. All right. Bye. See ya. Later. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 